Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. This is your host, Dalton Dismore, and this is The Faith Prospect. Well, we are finally here. Uh, It is the first episode, and it's a milestone. So I just want to thank you, no matter where you are, what you're doing, if you're driving on your way to work or you're driving on your way home or you're just somewhere relaxing and tuning in, thank you so much. It means a lot. So I just want to give you some background on our first guest. Uh, He's a professor at Urshan College and Urshan Graduate School of Theology. He taught me uh, my three years at Urshan in the collegiate level, and he's still teaching me in the Urshan Graduate School of Theology. And one of the best people I've ever met, one of the best teachers I've ever been taught by, uh, just a great guy. And my first class with him was IPT, which stands for Introduction to Pentecostal Theology. And any Urshan student, past or present, knows the love-hate relationship with IPT. Uh, You know, it's where... It's the first time you got to write theological papers. You have to learn 62 verses, commit them to to memory, and quote them under a certain amount of time. And then you got to learn all these theological concepts and principles. And you got to be able to put it all together and defend at the end of the class, at the end of the semester, defend it against Norris in the final where we go before him and he asks us a question. And we, he asked us three questions and we have to defend our faith. And, you know, it was, it's such, it's such a great time and it impacted and it shaped who, who I became and who I am because it taught us not only about the Bible, not only about what we believe, but it taught us how to, to interact with people who who don't know anything about this, or maybe they've had bad experiences with Christianity. And it taught us to to keep in mind the main thing, which is reaching people. You know, it's not it's not about, you know, beating somebody with your superior intellect and superior knowledge of the Bible and and beating them into submission with how smart you are and how much you know versus how much they know or how how right you are versus how wrong they are. No. It's about reaching somebody and showing them that there is somebody who loves them. And if they don't even believe in God yet, that that somebody is you, that you love them, that you care about them. And that one day you would share the gospel, that you would share the gospel with them and they would see who Jesus is. And I learned that in in class with Norris. I learned that through his life, his hardships, which we're about to talk about. So without any further delay, here is the interview with Dr. Norris. We are joined here today by Dr. David Norris. He's a teacher of mine and a mentor. And, well, I'm just excited to have him here today. Welcome. Thank you, Dalton. I'm, I'm glad to be here. And I'm, we are we are so excited what's going to happen today. So, man, let's just jump right into it. I know you've you've been around church and around, um, you know, living for God and the kingdom of God pretty much your entire life. Uh, 
what would you say really got you into it, you know, where you're living for it for yourself? You know, my grandpa was a preacher, and um, he was also uh, head of a Bible college, head of a district, all that kind of stuff. But my dad and didn't serve the Lord as a teenager growing up and um, married out of the church. And so all the while I was growing up, uh, neither my mom or my dad went to church, but they, um, my dad would never speak against it. He believed in it. He just didn't go, <laughs> you know, it's one of those kind of things. Yeah. Send his ties, but don't go to church. You know, <laughs> Bitterness is a kind of funny thing or, you know, something can take you out like that. And now in the end, uh, he did get in the church at the end of his life, but a lot of wasted years there. As a child, I uh, only went to Sunday school and church camp. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the most important Sunday school teacher I had was my grandmother. That was in the fifth and sixth grade. And when she uh, taught, um, the presence of God would fill the room. Uh, yeah. And so she taught on a lot of things, but mostly on Christian habits, how to have disciplines and so on. And, you know, lived out how to pray and have God answer wow. prayer. So that was special. So how old were you when you said your grandmother, she was a Sunday school teacher, when she was teaching about these things, how old were you? I was uh, 10 and 11. It was a two-year class. Wow. Wow. So how did how did she approach faith to, to 10 and 11-year-olds? I'm you know, you know where I'm at right now in kids ministry. And so I'm going to kind of hijack this interview for a second and just see, see what your grandma did. Well, it's hard to articulate that because how do you speak in the presence of God fills the room? I I, I don't know. Um, (laughs) How do you talk about the fear of the Lord in such a way um, that it's caught by the students? And, um, it was, she had wonderful storytelling skills. She could tell a story like nobody else, but it was more than that. It was, um, it was everything she said seemed true and everything mm-hmm. she said seemed like God was behind it. And so I don't know. Um, I'm very thankful for that. You can't replicate a ministry. You can't replicate uh, what somebody else has we only can be our authentic selves, but God can use every one of us in our authentic selves and simple faith. Not, it's not complicated really. Wow. Man, that's so good. So fast forward from 10 and 11. Um, I remember you telling me one time in class about a trip, a ministry trip you took and something happening with the van. Can you, can you tell talk about that for a second? Oh Yeah. Um, I think I know what you're talking about. When I was, uh, uh, after first year Bible college, I was part of a music tour. Yeah, We toured uh, a number of weeks. And um, we had three more stops. It was, these were long tours. They don't do them anymore. We like all summer. It was like eight eight weeks. We were three days from the end. And we just left Kentucky camp. Uh, Brother and sister Griffin who uh, were the Bible college teachers, they were in a car in front of us, and um, we had a bass player was a girl, and a, a, the lead singer was a girl. She also, well, the bass player was also a singer, but uh, uh, she, lead singer, and then the piano player, keyboard player, uh, so they were in the car. 
there were four guys. Um, come to think of it. She wasn't a bass player. She was a lead guitar player. The bass player was in the... It's been a long time. I'm old, okay? So, I'm trying to, so we were all in the van. Okay. And uh, they... We were on this rural Kentucky road, just leaving the camp, pouring down rain, and they passed this pickup truck. Um, and when we tried to do it, um, the driver um, caught the other side of the road because the pickup truck started sway... Uh, weaving into him and so he wow. was trying to get out of it there was actually a cow in the back of the pickup truck <laughs> i i don't know if it fell over or what. No, i don't no. know um we're none of us but the driver was like this is how you do on tours you stay up late and then you sleep to the next place yeah. so i was in the i didn't see any of this so um when the tire caught the other side of the road the van flipped end over and kind of like a loaf of bread would wow. flip and i was uh i was Brother Griffin said he looked in the rearview mirror and I was like flying through the air, like kind of like Superman out the door and the road was wet. So that saved my life because I, you know how you skip a rock and you kind of go off it. So I did a lot of that apparently skipped several times wow. and wound up in a ditch waist high ditch. But apparently I don't remember any of this. I was sitting up and he comes over and prays for me in the ditch. Now, I mean, hundred feet you know you're going 100 feet from the and you're okay how does that even happen so i i don't remember any of that but i remember waking up in the ambulance and feeling uh my tongue crossing my teeth and my front teeth were busted out and then i looked at my left hand and uh the top of it was just gone i didn't realize that my whole face was kind of mushed up uh, looked like a bull spaghetti, but they wow. looked at me and they couldn't. My, my peers could hardly <laughs> look at me. I'm like, what's wrong with it? And then I, my 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 uh, tailbone hurt. I didn't realize I had fractured my hip, but um, uh, that was kind of. Uh, I, I don't rec any, recommend that anyone like almost die. Okay, I'm not, I don't <laughs> think that's a good thing. But I, I, it was a turning point for me because, you know, I felt a call when I was 11 when I got the Holy Ghost. But you always think the call is like somewhere out there in the future. And I wasn't, I, I would, didn't ever like not serve the Lord, but I just, I, I never really embraced um, that this was now, you know, that God wanted me to do stuff now. And that changed my life because you realize I almost died. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean and you don't know when the curtain's going to come down. You don't know how long you're going to live. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I was never on serious, but I would say at that point I was full-time in ministry. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not saying I never worked a job, but I identified myself as my, my core being as who I was. I'm a minister yeah. and everything else is I'm doing, you know, just uh, do to make ends meet or whatever. Wow, man. So you said you were in Bible college at the time. I was yeah, just finished one year, and this is at uh, ABI. ABI, yes. ABI, and born and raised there. Yep. And your grandfather, he was, uh, he was, in, is he the president of the school or? He was the president and founder. S. G. Norris. He started the school in 1937, and uh, he was uh, kind of like God to me. Between my grandpa and my <laughs> grandmother, they weren't wasn't a normal. You know, grandpa, grandma relationship. It was, it was, but it was a blessing in my life. 
What do you mean? Like, what it, What was it normal about it? Well, nobody was cuddly. <laughs> <laughs> if you think of authority and ministers, um, uh, he had that. And he was, his dad died when he was a kid. And so yeah. he didn't have a lot of touchy-feely in him. Gotcha. But he was a kind man. But um, his way to live for God is just buck up with your problem. Just do what's right. You know, that was, that was... Um, who he was, but great man. What did uh, what would you say is probably the 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 best or most impactful thing he taught you growing up? Oh, that would be hard to reduce to one thing. Um, certainly, he emphasized our identity, what it means to be uh, oneness, what it means to be Pentecostal. Um, but he did so much more than that. Um, he exuded faithfulness. Um, he was a man of great faith, man of great faith. Um, so, but he wouldn't always tell the miracle stories. I, I, it wasn't until I evangelized and went around the country that I heard all these stories about uh, stuff he'd prayed for where God did miracles and stuff. That wasn't part of who he was. What kind of stuff do you remember hearing about him? Well, and I never learned this growing up, really, but um, I'll, I'll give you one example. Okay. Um, when my dad was just a child, um, it was old 464 Pierce between Midway and uh, Minneapolis and Midway St. Paul. And um, it's after church, and my dad was hit by car and they I mean he was like mangled his body was mangled in like an eye this way and just uh, and they brought him to my grandfather in the church he laid him down on the altar and he called down healing in the name of Jesus Christ and my dad was miraculously healed wow now if if God can do that miracle for you one time, he can do it again. So let me give you an example how that was. I'm evangelizing, and I'm down in Oklahoma. And um, Brother Whalen, who was the superintendent, he says, yeah, um, Brother Norris prayed for my son. He was miraculously healed. And, and he said, I said, well, tell me about it. So I just called him up, and I said, Brother Norris, I need you to pray. So it was like he didn't hear him. He was doing some prayer, and he, and he says, "It's okay." And he hung up, <laughs> and his son immediately was was healed. Wow! And then I was in St. Louis. Eddie Gwynn was pastoring, and he tells me like almost the same word for word story. My 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 grandfather never said goodbye. Yeah. He just hung up the phone. <laughs> he was like, it's done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know what that was, but that was my grandfather. So he tells me the same story. My son was, uh, it was like critical condition. I called. He prayed, and he said, okay, it's done. And he hung up the phone, and, and, and his son was healed. Wow. That's, that's it's it's one thing if, you know, you, you hear about it one time, but to hear the same same instance happening. Well, you know, and I thought about that. I thought, well... If it happened for you, yeah. well, then, of course, it can happen for anyone else. So, yeah, I'll just pray, and then God will do it, you know? Man, that's 
that's a cool kind of faith. Yeah, it is. Cool kind of faith right yeah. there, man. So is are there any other stories you heard about your your grandfather that 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 you were just like like wow? You know, and my grandfather's around a long time. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stories, but I imagine. Uh, let me let me just give a couple personal ones. Okay. Um my wife Nancy uh, was raised in Chicago area. Uh, her dad was a pioneer church planner. He started several churches that are still um, active and going today. And um, but she was actually born in St. Paul um, when her dad was in a Bible college back in the fifties. Okay. So couple stories. Um, her brother is his name is David, and um, this was back in the fifties before the polio vaccine was really fully in place. Mm. And um, one day, I, I, I think he was around five or so, um, it was found out that he had contracted polio. Well, polio is a uh, debilitating thing, and it you didn't get over it. It only got worse and worse and worse. It was, uh, if your your muscles had uh, uh, been curling up and atrophying, they're not going to, it's not going to get better. You're going to be on crutches or in a wheelchair all your life. At any rate, he was in this hospital um, and in the crib, and um, church started at 8 o'clock. They started late. Mm -hmm. Um, But they had prayer for him uh, at the, Beginning of the service says eight o'clock. Pray for uh, little uh, David Abshire, and the church stood up and prayed. And a few minutes after eight, the doctor and his legs were all curled up. He's mm. in this. He's in this little crib. And they're all curled up. Doctor came by to. No, no, it was a nurse. It wasn't a doctor. Uh, and I obviously wasn't there, but I've heard my wife tell the story, so I'm. I, she'd be a better person to tell it, but I'll tell it anyway. Um, <laughs> The nurse opens the door and, and looks in and is going to play peekaboo with him because, you know, you're a kid. You're in the yeah. crib. You can't do anything. And um, uh, he is not um, curled up. In fact, he's jumping up and down on this little crib thing. And she says, stop that. You're not supposed <laughs> to be doing that. And um, somehow he gets out of the crib and he's running all over the right. room. And um, she's chasing him. She gets the doctor. He's not supposed to be able to do that. <laughs> What's he doing? And so God had Im- immediately healed him. Wow. Polio. Uh, when they brought him back to church, my grandfather said, Come here, David. Run up there. Run back here. Run there. <laughs> and uh, he actually was uh, a gymnast. Really? Yeah, yeah. Just uh, he could. God didn't uh, just walk, fix his legs. He could walk up and down stairs on his hands. I mean, he was like that kind of guy. You wow. Know? So it was pretty, pretty neat. Another story uh, from that same time is um, she was brought from the hospital. I don't know. If it was something a hole in her esophagus or something. But the doctor didn't give her much hope. They brought her home, mm. and again, the church prayed, and she was healed. And so, um, you know, that's part of our family stories, you know, that we tell. Wow. And so, so many things. And uh, 
So this was that was your wife's brother with with polio. Yeah, he was like five years older than her. So he that would happen in St. Paul. So he she was just a newborn then in St. Paul. So both those things happened there. Yeah. Okay. Man. Um. So I under I understand. I've, uh, you know, pretty much all the stories I've. I've heard you tell one time or the other have been been in class, but I uh, I actually think this one, you and your wife, you you started talking about y'all's personal testimony with your son. Um, can you talk about that just a little bit? Absolutely. Um, so we were uh, church planners in uh, Wisconsin, in Westman, Wisconsin, and we uh, been married. We got married young. It didn't seem young at the time, but it seems very young now. <laughs> we were twenty one. So we were youth pastors, we evangelized, and then we started this church. So we were trying to have children and couldn't have it. And finally, um, finally found out she was pregnant. And, um, you know, I went to all the classes with her, went to every appointment. But the day, um, the child, the due date of the child, the baby, the doctor, he was a little puzzled. He said, there's something wrong here. Uh, you sure the due date? Yeah, we're sure. Uh, well, yeah, that's not right. So I said, well, what's, what's wrong? He said, well, there's not enough amniotic fluid in here and his head's way too small. So I said, well, what does that mean? And he started telling me the options that would it could mean and none of them was good. Well, maybe he has no kidneys. Well, what would that mean? Like, he can't live. Well, what are the other options? Wow. And they were all pretty bad. So it turned out that night that Nancy um, goes into labor, and it was in Wisconsin, so there's this blizzard, so we're going down to, we go to the hospital, and the doctor says, you know what, you better, this is a small town hospital, you better go to Milwaukee, so the ambulance takes her there. Uh, turns out, um, after a night of struggling, the baby's in distress, they're going to take him C-section, I'm waiting at the neonatal clinic, and this big tall guy, Dr. Rob, comes, he says, Mr. Norris? And I said, yeah. He said, um, uh, and he begins to hem-haw around. He said, well, there's something wrong with the baby. And I said, okay, well, what is it? He said, well, his hips and knees are born out of joint. We can fix that. I look around, and they turn in this, and babies are ugly anyway. I, I, <laughs> the only sanctified lie that I know is the pastor saying, he's beautiful. You know, <laughs> he's beautiful on God's side and the mother's side, but usually they're not beautiful. They're not the Gerber baby, you know. So. <laughs> and, uh, and he was all distressed and crying and all that. Um, I didn't know if he'd live. Turned out, he says there's genetic disorder, and it turned out it was pretty severe genetic mm -hmm. disorder. Um he had what was called Cretus Shah syndrome, uh, which literally means cry the cat. Uh, and the, the French doctor who discovered this named it that because it was real high-pitched, almost like a mew cry of um, babies who had this genetic disorder. Wow. He had some missing pieces in the fifth chromosome. So uh turned out he, kind of like Down syndrome, somebody could be him function in society or they could be a more severe downs and they they could be not even walk or talk well this was like that you could have uh, sort of a mild on the spectrum or it could be very severe his was very severe mm. so um i looked at the booklets and what the geneticist said and he said 
well, you know, the average lifespan is two. They're probably not going to live past two, and they'll probably be sick the whole time. Wow. So that was that was our diagnosis. How how long did he end up living? Well, um, he actually lived for thirteen years. Wow. And um, he was sickly a lot, and that was true. And and he um, uh, he was what's called chronically ill, which means you're hospitalized five times a year. Anything would put him in the hospital. Anything could be life threatening, you know. But he was such a precious boy. Loved people. Loved to go to church. Uh, just sweet, precious. Um, but he was total care. He never got beyond like a three to six month level in terms of what you could do. You know, I'm I'm going to assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You know, there were times that you you probably prayed for healing. You prayed, you know, for maybe for miracles. And and if you didn't, let me know what. Yeah. How did y'all deal with deal with that? Well, we dealt with it better sometimes than other times. When he um, was in critical condition the first uh, days of a day of his life, they didn't know he'd live through the night. And honestly, and I'm embarrassed to say this, I didn't know if I wanted him to. I mean, like, because you think, well, what kind of life would he have? And who will love this baby? Who will care for him? I, and I'm ashamed of it now. Yeah. Um. I was up for about 36 hours, went home to sleep, and I felt woken up from the Lord. I'm a pastor, so I'm like rolling on the floor. Oh, Lord, who is it? What is it? And the Lord spoke and praised me. Because at that point, they didn't know the severity of it. And they said it could be less severe, more severe. And if the Lord was commanding me to praise him, there's only one reason I would have to have a command. Yeah, It would be severe. And I said, Oh, I'm not going to praise you. I will not praise me. I will not praise you. And the third time, praise me, and I kind of broke, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll praise you. Praise you, Lord. Um, so the you always have some kind of why question. God never tells you why, but he gives you enough to know, uh, to be satisfied and, once that was kind of settled, I, uh, I was I never asked that in the same way. Um, healing is different things. So what's normal um, depends on the child. Mm. So it's not normal for someone who has Down syndrome not to be Down syndrome. Yeah, it's not normal for someone who has this genetic not to be that. Um, we have, how many times did we pray for healing for Nathaniel? Um, but um, that looks different in different circumstances. So uh, we had to sort of give that back to God. Mm. Um, healing means different things at different times. Wow. So how did how did you and your your wife get through the rough moments after after he passed? Yeah, um, men and women grieve differently. All actually, all individuals grieve differently. And uh, my feeling was, you know what? I've taken care of him, him all my life. Mm-hmm. He's lived longer than they said he would. Uh, I've done everything right, and uh, 
he's with the Lord, and yeah, I had sorrow and all that. But I, 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 I had a different position than my wife. My wife's position for 13 years was she was a total caretaker for this child, and now that job is gone. And, and women get self-esteem not because of their work, but because of their children. Uh, and it's not because of what their children will do. It's just because of their children. Yeah. I mean, Nathaniel was never going to win us trophies, but he was our child. He was our son. Yeah. I remember one day um, we had a nurse that came in the afternoon and gave him a bath. This was his daily routine. If he was well enough to go to school. In his school, they did therapy with him, occupational, physical therapy, and all that. And one thing he could do, he, he couldn't talk really or... Um, but he loved to splash in the bathtub, mm. and she let him do it. He would splash, the <laughs> walls would get wet, and the ceiling, and he had this good time, and uh, she let him do it. He'd get his pajamas on, and the routine was he'd, have, he'd be rocked in the rocking chair, and then uh, he would take a nap. This was standard daily routine. I remember one day I um, was home, and I rocked him in the rocking chair, we had the same song that came on for the nap. It was a tape, uh, cassette tape, yeah. of uh, Merle Streep uh, doing the Velveteen <laughs> Rabbit. Wow. The music would come on. Duh, 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 duh. Yeah. And then she'd say, once there was a Velveteen Rabbit. And in the beginning, he was quite bushy. So I'm knocking him, and the music comes on. And once there was a Velveteen Rabbit. And in the beginning, he was quite bushy. And he just snuggles and goes, ah. And at that moment, it was like, it was enough. Mm. He didn't have to win trophies or be a Bible quiz or a football player or a preacher or anything. It was enough that he was my son. Yeah. And I loved him because my son, and, and I, he didn't have to do anything to make me love him. And, of course, that's, that's the way God is for us. When he died, uh, Nancy went into this deep depression, mm. and I was so insensitive. I mean, uh, we were doing this little church, and she was over the education on Wednesday nights, and she was helping me in every other way, and she didn't want to do it anymore. Mm. Like, I mean, come on, get with the program here. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally insensitive, you know. So I think she needs some help so she can keep helping me. Um, so I sent her to a counselor. Uh, he said, you got to submit your husband. She said, well, I'm not going back to that guy. <laughs> so we went to another counselor. He started falling asleep on her. And then finally she found one she really liked. Yeah. And after a couple sessions, um, the, uh, the lady counselor, who actually had been a pastor's wife, a denominal pastor's wife, yeah. said, would your husband come in? So I started coming in. And she don't, now it's just not Nancy's problem. She's picking on me. <laughs> Didn't expect that. Yeah, yeah. She says, um, you know, why are you trying so hard? I mean, what is this about you that you um, you have to succeed? You're because you are you trying to please your father because he's dead. Yeah. You know, she's asking me those questions, and she's real yeah. pointed. And and sometimes she was off, but a lot of the times she was like square on. Wow. Uh, and so. It was really a crisis in our marriage, but um, uh, with some help, we uh, 
we worked our way through it. We we teach marriage seminars, and we always we find that people get more out of us telling of our stuff that we did wrong than the stuff we did right. <laughs> so we always, we always include that story among others in that because uh, it was it was hard. It was not easy. Wow. And and all all through this, you're you're still pastoring and, and ministering. Am I right? Oh yeah. I mean. I was doing a PhD program. Wow. I'm flying back and forth. Our school that I was teaching at, I was teaching at Kinkers and College. They closed. So now I'm flying back and forth to IBC teaching, and then I'm trying to pastor a little church. I'm not doing anything well, but I'm, I'm trying to. <laughs> trying to do it all. Just trying to do it all, you know. And 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 through the, through all this time, uh, what, what kind of stuff did you see God do in your ministry and at school or wherever? <laughs> well, um it's funny. Um, you often can't measure ministry accurately at the time, because mm-hmm. if I would look back to uh, my early years, uh, starting a church in West Bend, I would say, "Now that was a booming success." Yeah. But if I will look at the time that I spent in Philadelphia, you know, I didn't have that same uh, results and. I would say that was a pretty unsuccessful time. Mm-hmm. But when I look back at it, God doesn't see either time any different. No. And in fact, I grew more out of the brokenness of my lived experience during that really rough season of my life uh, probably than any other time in my walk with the Lord wow. but you can't see any of that at the time yeah I was living at uh, right near Valley Forge and that becomes a metaphor a little bit for that season uh, it was at Valley Forge where um, you know Washington's army was barely getting fed the people in Philadelphia were feeding their British but not them and um the success of George Washington in that winter uh, was that he kept putting one foot in front of the other yeah. and that there was still an army in the spring wow. to fight with. So sometimes faithfulness looks different. Mm. Um, sometimes it's just doing the next thing. But in retrospect, the times when we think we're the weakest, I wonder if in eternity we'll look back and God will say, that was your greatest victory. Wow. No. No, you're right. You don't ever really think about that in a moment. Man. So uh, you've told us uh, in our class often that you were, you know, you were called to, in, in so many words, you know, to teach. Um, when did you start going towards that? Well, we were in West Bend, Wisconsin, and um, like I said, it was going good. (laughs) We didn't even have a Sunday school, and I was voted in as the Sunday school director for the state. Um, One minister friend said to me, that's all right. I was voted in for my wife one time, too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, So we were doing that, and the church was going good, and and then I just kept getting uh, unsettled, and... uh, 
I would have missionaries come through. I'd say, what are we doing to re- reach the world? I mean, because I'm happy for what's happening here, but why, how? And and it, I I just couldn't help myself. One missionary said to me, "Are you sure you're not called to be a missionary?" <laughs> I said, "No, I'm quite sure I'm not." <laughs> and he said, "Have you ever volunteered?" I said, "What?" He said, well, yeah, God doesn't force anyone to do anything. Mm. What if you told the Lord you would pray for the next, let's say, 30 days and then do some fasting and say you would be really sensitive to his voice and listen. And and then maybe, you know, after a while, we all have times when we're just a little bit discontent. Maybe it's just one of those things, but maybe God has something more to say to you. Yeah. Well, that was good advice. Um, so I did. I prayed that and... Nothing. 30 days came and went. But then um, a few weeks after that, I had a friend visit, uh, Rick Lucas. He's a missionary in Japan. And mm. we're just, I, I've, I'm a bus driver. That's my job. So I have a bus route in the morning, bus drive in the afternoon. So, But I met him for lunch, and he just says something in passing. He said, yeah, I think I would like to start a Bible college if it works out. Um because that's the way we're going to reach the world. Wow. So I, I said, okay. You know, I didn't think anything of it at the time, but I'm on the bus route, and the Lord just speaks to me as clearly as anything, any spiritual experience I've ever had, and says, that's what I'm calling you to do. Wow. It's funny you mentioned uh, Brother Lucas. Uh, his son is now... He's now our executive pastor back home, and we've gotten pretty close. And he's he said things a time or two that's gotten that's that God has pointed at in my life. So that's that's kind of cool to hear that mm-hmm. hear that it's, it goes back to his dad too. And he always talks about his dad in high esteem. So and his grandpa too. I mean, he's got quite a range. He does. He does. And so you're called to teach, and you know you there's. There's so many things we could talk about, but, you know, to narrow it down and what, what times in the classroom have, and this is a hard question because I know in, in just my time, there's been, there's been moves of God in our classes, but is there any, any particular ones that you can think back to right now and just what, what stuff God was doing in the classroom through you or around you? Um, teaching, Bible school teaching is like any other ministry. You can never, ever measure what God is doing. Mm. Um, you, Dalton, you'll probably meet somebody, should the Lord tarry, 10 years from now or 15 years from now, and they'll say, yeah, that one time and that one service, you said that one thing, and <laughs> yeah, that's when I felt called or something like that. You know, um, so I... Yeah, there's a lot of times when uh, we have moves of God. I have brother um, Dan Scott as my quote-unquote class pastor for IPT. Wow. Whenever he comes, it's like the miraculous, you know. So <laughs> I have him every once a couple of weeks. Um, so that's one kind of move of God. But oftentimes God speaks in ways that are just surprising, and you can't evaluate one thing after or another Uh Will only God's perspective will reveal, 
and there's no ministry is whatever service God asks you to do at the time. And like Ecclesiastes, do it with all of your heart. Mm. Um, and uh, that is the will of God. And yeah. that is the most effective thing to do. And that you can never measure. But so I, I thought I would get tired of teaching at some point, you know, that I would get burned out. Uh, and sometimes you can be self-deceiving, so I don't want to. <laughs> but I, I think, I think I'm as passionate, or maybe even more passionate now than I've ever been. I, because um, I realize life is a gift, and um, I'm 66, and so maybe I'll teach another 10 years if God gives me health and the ability, and they don't push me out the door or something like that. Maybe my mind will still be with me and all that. I doubt they push you uh, out the door. <laughs> but I can't take anything for granted. And so every day, yeah, every day I get to participate in what God's doing. God's called these um, students to reach the world. Yeah. And I get to be a part, you know, a voice in their life. I mean, uh, what's better than that? I think one of the, you know, you said, that people come to you and they tell you about stuff you said, you know, years, years back for me, I think one of the things you told me, and I mean, there's so many things that I learned in your classes, mainly just how to study. (laughs) That's one of the, probably the biggest takeaways, but I think one of the most impactful things you did was in our honors class. And it was, I think I want to say it was like the last class or one of the ones at the end, and we were, I think you, you, you went way off book, and you went into marriage, and, and you, you had, we have, I still have a booklet of, like, you know, looking who you want, like, the different principles and stuff, but at the very end of it, you told us that, that you and, you and your wife, that you, you cared about us, and you were there for us, no matter what we needed, any time in our lives, that you would be there, and then if we had kids, that you would be there for them as well. And I knew you meant it. And that's, I, I, I guess it's just this, one of those things that you hear so much time, so much over life, but not often do people really mean it. And, and that, that meant a lot because I do mean it. that let me know you cared more than anything. And so I really do appreciate that one. Thank you. Um, um, so I think, uh, we're coming to a close on this time. I hope to have you again. Um, but one, one final thing. So what I'm just going to, going to ask straight. So what is the, if we haven't already said it, um, if we have said it, if we have already talked about it, we're going to talk about another one. What is the greatest miracle you've seen God do in your life? Um, when you say the greatest, you know, it's one of those, how do you, how do you evaluate? So, uh, maybe I feel like you define that. I don't, I can't yeah, really do that. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like if you're a minister and, or if you're just a Christian, um, and there's no just, I guess. Yeah. But that God talks to you every day. 
Mm. And sometimes it's like, don't say that. (laughs) 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 Or sometimes like, don't do that thing. You know, you're wasting your time. Don't do that thing or other things. And um, to feel the presence of God, Mm. you know, and to kind of walk in that. You know, I I understand the word. I don't know that I understand the words, but I I, I probably understand some part of pray without ceasing. So I don't think it's, it's that spirit of, listening and asking and being intimate with God. Um, and everything else flows from that. Mm. So um, if you identify that one miracle, um, and any miracle is a wonderful miracle. So you could yeah. pick a, you could pick one thing that God does for you, and that would be wonderful. But I think it's the the fact that and it's easy to take for granted. I, I get that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, I'm sure I do more than I should, but just to uh, just to know that that God is there and present, and and sometimes that looks like go pray for someone, and sometimes it looks like, you know, I think I should say such and such to so and so, but but those are almost like the the overflow things that come from the main thing, which is like, wow, you get to walk with the Lord and hear him and listen to him and talk to him. And and it's not ever the same. Yeah, It's not formulaic. It's not always happy or sad. or Just like any person that's your friend, you can't guarantee what their mood will be or, or, or what they want to do. We surprise each other. Uh, but it's always good yeah. because they're your friend and, and it's that that thing of being a Christian and more than being a Christian because every Christian is called to do some ministry. And if you discover that ministry, if you discover the thing that God has asked you to do and what you're passionate about, uh, you'll never go to work. You'll, you'll, you'll never, it'll never be a burden. It, it won't be like, like, oh, I got to do it. You know, it, it. It's That's all like, man, I, I get to do this. Man. And, and that's the that's the joy of, of a Christian life that's poured out. Wow. Wow, that's good. Can I uh, pray a blessing? Yes, please, please. Let me do that. Lord, I... I thank you for um, everyone who's listening to this uh, at this time. And I don't think it's accidental that you uh, are allowing them to hear this uh, because you have some purpose and some plan. And uh, you are doing a work. You've begun it. And now I agree with you, and I agree with the impulse of this young man or woman um, this boy, this girl, this elder, whoever's listening to this, I agree with you, Lord God, that you are going to, you're going to bless them and you're going to use them to do things that will count for eternity, a part of what you're doing to reach the world. I call down your blessings in the name of Jesus Christ. I say yes to your purpose. I say yes to your plan. And I pray, Lord God, 
that you'd open a door of service, that you'd work in the miraculous, that you'd accomplish your purpose, that you would reach the world and do it with us. We say yes to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I really appreciate you giving us this time because I know you are a busy man. And um, I'm thankful you sat down with us and told us your story and a lot of other things. Thank you for asking. It's my honor.